sometimes there's these news stories that come across and you're like, what is going on? Like what must be happening behind the scenes to make this story a reality? So Microsoft is working on AMD GPU hot plugging for the Linux kernel. <laughs> Not AMD, uh, but Microsoft. Yeah, I guess this is uh, targeted at the data center. Microsoft said in a quote that uh, we believe the support of hot plug of GPU devices can open doors for many advanced applications in, data, in the data center for the next few years. So data center use. GPU, maybe for like adding GPUs to virtual machines and then removing it? Yeah, Michael Arbel at Phronix kind of speculates that this is for Azure hot adding and removing of AMD accelerators for VMs. Exactly. What a wild, wild world. And this, you know, wouldn't be possible unless AMD was contributing their code to the Linux kernel. And so now they get to benefit from the developers at Microsoft improving the capabilities of their hardware product. I mean, it's for their own interest, but... Well, on the flip side, right? Like, Microsoft doesn't necessarily have to work directly with AMD. As long as they can get it reviewed and accepted upstream of the kernel, no one's stopping them. friends, and welcome into your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. My name is Brent. And my name is Alex. Hello, guys. How great it is to be in the same room with you. Coming up on the show today, we just got back from our big East Coast meetup. We've got some great stories, some observations about our fellow Linux users, and a lot more. Plus, we're going to round it out with some boosts, some picks, and much, much more. I would normally introduce the lug right here, but we had technical issues because we're on live location, so we're not going to have a virtual lug today. I apologize ahead of time. It's heartbreaking. Um, Wes stayed up all night creating some sort of great, powerful contraption to make this happen, but uh, unfortunately, I came in here this morning and I tore it all down, didn't know what it was, and so we just don't have a mumble. Well, it had become sentient, so I think that was the responsible move. Yeah, it was a tough choice, but the show must go on. Um, but we do have so much to get to, and you're going to hear from a ton of audience members anyways that perhaps it's okay. I hope so. We're all hanging out here at Alex's house today. It's pretty great. So thanks for hosting us, Alex. You're very welcome. That is until my neighbor starts shoveling gravel from his truck. Well, it is a nice day out. So, yeah. you know, we got to get yard work done. That is the only thing. But we have I've been here since Thursday. Brent, I think you've been here since Thursday. Do we all come in on Thursday? No, you came yeah. in on Wednesday. Yeah, I came in on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. I did come in on Wednesday, but I, I stayed at a hotel the first night just because we came in so late. But it was Thursday that the team really assembled. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I came in. I decided, wouldn't it be nice not to do like a red-eye flight, to just do like a midday flight? How reasonable. So in the Pacific Northwest, we flew at like 3 p.m. on Wednesday last week. And then we landed in Raleigh around 11.50 midnight. And... We didn't want to like wake Alex and his wife and the baby up. And we thought, we'll just land and do one of those like right next to the airport hotels. Just, you know, wham, bam, Quick take a nap. Easy. Yeah. So we roll up to uh, this place called a microtel. They call it a microtel, which is like, really, guys, what are we doing? It's just like a cheap, crappy hotel that's been refurbed three hey, times. That's like a step above a nanotel, though. <laughs> yeah, it's better than a nanotel. So we go in there. And uh, as I'm opening the door, this guy rushes past me and he's like in a panic and he just like kind of brushes us out of the way. And, you know, we got our luggage and everything. So we're kind of like taking up some space and he like kind of slams in past us. Doesn't speak a lick of English. So he takes forever to get his room booked, uh, even like leaves for part of it. And then the guy tries to like book us and then he comes back and he's even more in a panic. And anyways, so that, I'm like, that's not a great sign. Right. But we're st- Starving, and we're tired. So I figured, get to your room, get some food, go to bed. Yeah, let's just get this over with. I'm excited about getting over to Alex's. That's going to be a lot nicer. Let's just do this. So I reinstalled the damn Uber Eats app on my phone, which I just deleted because I was swearing off Uber Eats, right? Because it's so crappy usually. But I figure, you know, the wife's hungry. She's got diabetes. She's got the low blood sugars. I'm going to take care of the situation. Oh, look, the only thing nearby is a McDonald's for a four dollar freaking delivery charge. Okay, fine. Fine, it's 1 a.m., right? So the moment we get the room, like the moment we get the room number, I place this order on Uber Eats, right? And I'm a little kind of apprehensive about doing this because I'm like committing to be in this place for an hour at least if I do this. And I'm not sure this is the hotel we want to be in because my initial impressions is maybe like they're cooking something in the lobby, but I don't see anything being cooked. But it sure smells like something's being cooked. But I think to myself, maybe in the back room, that guy made himself a meal, you know, just ran the microwave. What kind of smells are we talking about here? Ethnic? <laughs> That's it. Like, all I can say is, like, 
smells like of food, clearly food, but not food I could identify. I couldn't like, it were all like meals I've never personally eaten, but I'm like, oh, that's what food smells like. Strong, unknown food. Yeah, very strong. But you know, the lobby, maybe they have a kitchen, right? I don't know. So after we get all checked in, after I place my order, we get in the elevator and the elevator smells like burnt rubber real bad. And what do you think about? Like, you get in, a rub- you get in an elevator and it smells like burnt rubber. It doesn't sound like what you want. You're thinking maybe, like, the, the, like the tracks are bad, like the little wheels it might have are bad. If there's one vehicle you would really rather didn't smell at all, it would be a lift. Yeah, right, right. right? And, okay, so we get up to the second floor and we step out, and it's a whole new set of food smells. Totally separate. Totally different. Maybe that's, like, a part of their brand, you know? You get, like, a themed smell per floor. Right. And then as you walk down this floor, second floor... You walk through different zones of stink, and I would actually probably describe it as stench. And you would think that every single hotel room had a kitchenette where they were making their own individual meals, although there are no kitchenettes in this in this entire hotel. And it's like probably three or four different phases of smell as we go to the very end of this hallway, because of course, you're walking down this torturous stench, and of course, our room's at the very end of the hallway, so you got to walk past all of the stench. My wife described it as a bouquet of stench. So then you get to the door, you open the door up, and boom, you're hit with a totally different smell. Oh, you finally learned what your room's custom smell yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And it's been sitting all day, and it was a humid day in Raleigh, so it is moist in our bedroom, right? And we're from the Pacific Northwest, where you don't really have that kind of, like, hanging humidity. And so, like, it smells horrible. We are damp. It's 1 a.m., and I'm already on my second Uber Eats driver. Like the first Uber Eats driver is already noped out. And I'm on my second Uber. I'm looking at the tracking screen like, where's my damn burger, right? So we look at the bed. We pull back the sheet, oh, no. the cover, you know. There's like a big liquid stain. And then like hair on the stain. And then it's just sort of like artfully placed at the tip of the stain, a cigarette hole. Like, Come on. I'm serious. I'm so serious right oh, now. Man. Did you take a picture for Instagram? I did not because I was in a bad place at this time because <laughs> I just wanted to eat. So we're sitting there on the bed kind of like huddling together, like on one edge of the bed on this like queen mattress or whatever, <laughs> because like the other one's just completely like a no go zone now. And uh, this, this second Uber Eats driver just like nopes out. And I'm like, two Uber Eats drivers have noped out. We got a third one at this point. I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? This, this driver's been sitting at McDonald's for like 45 minutes. It's almost 2 a.m. My wife's got, you know, low blood sugar. I'm trying to get her fed. Like, let's, let's figure out what's going on here. So I text this guy and I say, you know, everything okay? I send him the text message. Two seconds later, food's on, on the way. The guy's driving, right? Doesn't text anything back. Shows up at the, at the old uh, hotel. Drops it off at our door. Doesn't knock on the door. Then sends me a text message saying, your food's been gently placed by your door. So I open it up. It's somebody else's order. It's not my order. Oh, no. It's not my food. It's a totally different set of food. It's all cold. It's all totally cold, like to the touch cold, right? And then, so I'm like, I slam down some really bad burger because I'm starving. My wife slams down some really cold fries because her meal wasn't even in there. And then I go to bed, right? But I've picked a place close to the airport. So it's like legitimately in the path of the takeoff. So as as the planes take off, they are flying over my room. I got a nice view of the plane taking off. And that's fine. I started to get used to that. But around 4.30 a.m. or so, a plane came in for like a hard landing. And I swear to God, I thought they were going to hit the building. It was shaking the bed. I thought we were going to die. It was rough. So I didn't sleep so good that night. So it's really nice to be over here at Alex's. (laughs) Maybe you would have been better with the red eye. Yeah. I know, right? The, the moral of the story is don't try to save money on a hotel room near the airport. We went for the cheapest. It was 90 bucks a night. It's not that cheap, but these days it is. You got to remember, sleep is, sleep is like a superpower. I know. It really is. It was uh, touch and go there for a little bit. So it's been nice. Alex has made us up. It's like at Alex's uh, bed and breakfast here, you know? So yeah. we, we got rooms. We got a kitchen. You know, we should charge 90 bucks a night on Airbnb. <laughs> you could. I think I feel like you could actually, I mean, and you got the cute dog, so people are gonna want to stay. That's true. Oh that's yeah, true. yeah. With, like, do- with Airbnb, it would be a dog fee, nine thousand dollars. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now I know. So my like a lot of my bumpiness was after the flight. Like my flight and stuff, that all went smooth. Obviously, because I'm not complaining about it. But Brent, didn't you end up in some sort of weird like multi-flight situation? I know West did too. So how how was your trip in? Actually, surprisingly, usually I have a really great story to tell, but this time it was smooth? really bland and boring. That's which good. I think is what you're looking for. In terms of flights. So yeah. I 
The only thing that went wrong was I spilled my Thai food under my seat after they forced me to put my luggage up on the rack instead of down there. So I was a little... Pad Thai down. Yeah, Pad Thai down. That's too bad. But other than that, it went quite well. And Wes? I did take the red eye path this time. Just figuring, you know, I'd seen your flight and you were going to get in pretty late. I thought, okay. Yeah. uh, I, I'm still young enough, right? I can handle a red eye. I, sleep, <laughs> I love it. It's about age. <laughs> I, I sleep decently most of the time. I feel lucky in, in that regard. And yeah, that part of it went just fine. But, you know, as I land on the ground, I, uh, I had a layover in uh, JFK. As I land, kind of groggy, it's like five in the morning. I'm waking up. I, you know, reconnect to LTE and get my notifications. Your flight has been canceled. I was like, wait, what? But which flight? <laughs> Is it the flight of mud? No, that doesn't make sense. It's my next flight? Uh, I guess I'm in New York now? No, thankfully not. JetBlue had figured it out. So by the time, you know, by the time I'm off the plane, I didn't have to go talk to anyone. They'd already emailed me like an updated itinerary. The only catch was the, uh, it added an extra flight. And the first stop I had to do was go from JFK up to Boston, which is a 38-minute flight. Oh, that's such a weird flight. And because they were kind of having to reschedule things after the cancellation, of course, it was delayed. It took a while to get off. But we still arrived earlier than expected, so there was another plane already in our spot. So it was probably like an hour and a half or a two-hour f- affair from like learning about it to actually getting to Boston for 40 minutes of airtime. Wow. A 40-minute flight, it feels like you're going to spend more time just getting on board, sitting on the tarmac, and getting off. That was exactly yeah. it. <laughs> we were on the, we had it, we took Delta on the way out from Seattle and uh, you sit down, right? <clears throat> and they're booting up all of the in seat displays and stuff. And I'm like, look, look, honey, this is Linux. Isn't that cool? This, these displays all run Linux. Oh yeah, that's neat. You know, that's cool. We're going on a Linux event. We're on a Linux airplane. Yeah, that's great. Then we're on the flight and the thing is so dog slow. She's like, so this is your Linux. Huh? This is great. This is <laughs> probably like a two point something kernel still. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, well, and they're, yeah. they're all doing like, they're doing like this weird, like shared display when they can. I'd, I'd be really curious how this works if anybody out there knows, but like when you use the flight tracker, all of the displays on the flight tracker screen are all updating at the same time. They're all in sync. So is it one video feed or are they actually running instances of that flight tracker at, you know, whatever amount of seats that are running it and somehow they still stay in sync? I don't know. But it was a two core Linux system because it had two of the tuxes at the top of the screen. Ooh, <laughs> very observant. I know, right? I love walking through the airport and like trying to observe like what devices people are using, if they're using Bluetooth, if they're using an Apple product or an Android product. Saw a lot of laptops. A lot of people using laptops in the airport. Did you try any new tech on this trip? Hmm. No, but it is the first time I've used the Plex downloads feature since they've introduced the Plex Sync versus Plex downloads. And I don't really see much difference. It's kind of wonky because it recreates the directory structure of your online server. So because I pulled it down from two different servers, I had two different like libraries I had to manage instead of just all my downloaded videos. But it worked nice. We, uh, we got the new season of The Expanse and also Enterprise season one. And the nice thing is, is you can just say, just sync down the stuff I haven't watched yet. Mm, that's killer. And now the thing will be is how well does it do syncing back what we watch? So then when I go back to my... Are right, you starting fresh? We'll see. We'll see. But that was nice. But I think that was the only new tech. Did either one of you guys do anything new tech-wise for this trip? Oh, yeah. you did. Mm, yeah, I picked up some of those uh, Sony noise-canceling headphones. And I haven't really had a good pair of active noise-canceling headphones before. So that was sort of my trial run on the flight this time. And it was nice, I think, especially because I was taking a red eye, you know, just let me tune things out. That extra flight from Boston, too, it started off, I was right at the very back, like the last row of the plane. And there was a pretty loud mechanical noise. I can tell it really got to cruising speed. So that was handy. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I hadn't really even, this was sort of a last minute, like, oh, yeah, I'm flying. I really need some new headphones. Let's just get it. Pull the trigger. I hadn't tested it, but it works beautifully with Pipewire. Aha! That's great. You do any new tech for you, Brand, or did you have it all dialed in? I tend to not want to try new things because, you know, if it's going to fail, it'll be when you need it the Look most. at this guy, the um, reasonable one over here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was tempted to move to a new phone. As you know, my mm-hmm. sort of tried and true phone is about to explode. The battery is about twice the thickness that it should be. So Legitimately. Uh, I keep telling him it's a fire hazard. We've this thing is definitely a fire hazard. So about like three days before the trip, I thought, oh, I got, I got to change. I can't bring this thing. This is just a hazard to everybody. And... um 
But I never got there because yeah, um, the yeah. other phone I was going to switch to doesn't have an audio jack. Well, and Oh, the audio you know, headphone jack. Yeah, I got one of those little dongles, but um, it was a cheap one like from the grocery store. It was like the day before I was leaving, so I couldn't order anything reasonable. And it sounded awful, so I didn't even bring it. Well, you know, when you got a you got a phone where the battery is grown outside the case where it's popped the back of the case off, I'd probably say the best thing to do would be taking it up on an airplane. That's probably oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like that his, you know, audio snobbery too is he's willing to put his own personal self at risk yeah. just for that. Because you know, you Priorities put it in your pocket, right? You know what's near your pocket, right? Like yeah, it's nice and warm. I like it. <laughs> oh man. I guess as long as it's keeping you comfortable. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. We had a hell of a meetup yesterday, and uh, I tried to talk to people about what Linux stuff they're doing, what, what's not working for them with Linux, what is working for them, what distros they're using, and we tried to get a flavor of who's out there. And I think we did a pretty decent job. You know, we, we always kind of evolve every meetup and try to learn and adapt. Uh, but before we get started today, I have kind of a special announcement I want to start the show with because I'm very excited about this. And you guys know that we've been talking about the future of podcasting in general and, and, and JB shows in particular. And... You know about how particular we are and how careful we are with the sponsors we pick. And so I'm super excited to welcome Bitwarden on board for Linux Unplugged. They're on board for a little bit. And round of applause, right? Because we're all Bitwarden users in here. Yeah, we are. And uh, I think it's just an absolute great sponsor. Now, I'm not sure the landing page is live yet. because they want. So thing the background here is Bitwarden has really made an effort to support independent Linux content. And... So this is all kind of getting set up right now. So bitwarden.com slash Linux is going to be the landing page. If it's not live when you hear this, let them know maybe via support or somewhere some other way that that's how you heard about it. Because this is, I'd love for them to stick around for a bit because I think this is a great sponsor for the show. So it's bitwarden.com slash Linux. And you go there, you get started with a free trial for a team or enterprise account or for your personal account for an individual user as well. And it really is, Bitwarden is just the easiest way for businesses and individuals to store, share, and sync sensitive data. And it's not just passwords, although that's the primary use case I think a lot of us have for it, but you can also store your two-factor authentication tokens in there, things like recovery passwords for uh, maybe like Element, and uh, you know, maybe your Bitwarden certificate is what I realized I should be putting in there. I use it to store secure notes. So I have like WireGuard configs in there too. Ah, that's a good idea. Yeah, the um, attachments feature is pretty darn convenient. Yeah, I like the idea of putting my WireGuard config in there. Yeah, so it's more than just passwords really, but that is what's great. And like the support for two-factor authentication is so nice because if you use it on mobile, it really streamlines the whole process of good passwords on mobile. And I think that is really key. The other thing they have now is account switching support. How great is this? So it's super easy to switch between your personal and a business account or maybe a personal account and an open source project that you're working with. And one of the things that's given me confidence to use Bitwarden is that I know they have a self-hosted option available if I want it. I can get that up and running if I need to. I prefer to just get things up and going really fast with Bitwarden Cloud. I trust the security they have around that and it just got me going immediately and made it super easy to share stuff. And... The other nice thing is either route, they have a very large and active community in both their forums and on Reddit and really everywhere online. Bitwarden just has millions of users, so you get a lot of community support if that's the kind of route you prefer to go. A couple of years into using Bitwarden, I think what I've really learned to appreciate is how simple it makes bringing on team members. Like, Alex, you have a way where you use it where you don't share all of your passwords with somebody, you just share a few of your passwords. That's right, yeah. So my wife and I, I created a, an organization, and let's say there's a password to log into daycare to pay the daycare bill or something like that. We can both share that password as part of the KTZ organization that I've created in my Bitwarden kind of universe, and we both have access to those passwords, but it's on a, a need-to-know basis. Yeah, I like that. That's really nice. And I've been able to do that with team members when they come on or just like somebody who's working on a project for us. And it has made just keeping really good passwords and safe passwords straightforward and simple. And I think we all probably know this, but it's a good reminder that just a good password and good password hygiene is one of the few things you can really do to notably improve your online account security and your safety. You probably already knew that, but maybe somebody in your life needs to hear that. So send them to bitwarden.com slash Linux. Go try it for yourself, for your business, and you'll support the show. It's a great way to get started if you're an enterprise or if you're an individual user. You can go there and get a free trial at bitwarden.com slash Linux, and it's free for an individual user. You may find you don't need the uh, cloud service. I added it for the two-factor support alone, but there's a lot of there's a lot you can get out of 
Bitwarden. Just go try it. Go see it for yourself. It's bitwarden.com slash Linux. And a big welcome aboard to Bitwarden for joining us on the show. It's just super, super great to get support like that, especially right now. And uh, you can support the show by visiting bitwarden.com slash Linux. All right, let's talk about our meetup. I feel like there's a lot to talk about. And it's an exciting time. I think we should, maybe we should start with like the behind the scenes moment. We did capture a little bit of like the sitting down at the kitchen table and us having a conversation before we left to the event to go like pick up food and do all the things we had to do before the event started. So I'll take you back to, you know, like two hours before showtime. We're sitting in Alex's kitchen. It's um, about 15 minutes before we got to leave for the meetup Saturday morning on on April 9th. Uh, We've been here for a couple of days. Yesterday was all about eating a lot of food. And today it's not like we're... We're not nervous or anxious, but there's just so many things we still have to pull off in the next two hours. I think we're just anticipating. We're just ready to get this thing started. But also, super exciting that it's Wes's birthday today. Happy birthday, Wes. Wes. Oh, thank you. I really can't imagine anything better than, I mean, being with the team in person. With these amazing fools, I mean, what what could really be better? And Alex's beautiful home, which he has been so gracious hosting us at. And yeah, you know, there's just been a lot of a lot of excitement and work to get here. Alex scouting locations, actually being willing to host us and uh, the community here in Raleigh, and then just the small details, things like uh, rolling up t-shirts. <laughs> rolling up t-shirts seems to be like the key to a good event, doesn't it? Well, you got to have all the little pieces in place so you're not distracted and you can actually, you know, do the thing we're excited about, which is interacting with our amazing audience. Alex, how's it been having the whole crew in your house, basically? It's been a lot of fun. Really, we're all just guests in Archie's house, my dog, you know. uh, But, uh, you know, to celebrate Wes's birthday, Chris's iPhone just showed him a montage of past events. And uh, 90% of the pictures were him and Wes recording audio one of those pictures was a beer picture <laughs> so i think this afternoon at the brewery perhaps we need to uh we need to fix that ratio <laughs> we did do better we did do better i had a couple i got a couple of ciders down the hatch you got a beer too oh yes i did so that, that worked out pretty good and even the line at the brewery was helpful because it was a bit chilly yesterday let's be honest yeah and the brewery was nice and warm everybody was troopers because uh the standing temperature was like 55, 60 degrees. But then you bring in that, you know, 15, 20 mile per hour wind chill and it was really cold. So after three or so hours, maybe three and a half, four hours, we we actually got the whole crowd to migrate to the brewery. I think that was some excellent foresight on Alex's part to pick a spot that had an adjacent brewery. I mean. Yeah. And a barbecue place. And, uh, you know, there was all types. So let's dig into that a little bit at this event. Um, I think we all got a chance to at least see the deck floating around. Uh, listener Jeff brought his Steam Deck to the event. And, of course, I had to go hands-on. Yeah, I have a Steam Deck. I put, love it. It's been a lot of fun. I love it for basically picking it up and being able to play, you know, five, ten minutes of a game and put it down and not have to worry about it. And uh, have you tried anything else with it at all? Like poking around, exploring? No, I haven't had a whole lot of time to do that. I did have this whole thing where I was going to run Ansible and get everything figured out. (laughs) But with the immutable OS, apparently flat pack's the way to go. So I haven't exactly had a whole lot of time to play with it. I do have KDE Connect on it so I can move things back and forth. But that's about it. Uh, It does look nice, new, and shiny. Um, (laughs) Do you want to show Chris how it works? Sure. Oh, yeah, Chris. All right, okay. Oh, we got a game going, too, already. Hades. Hades, and it looks good. Any tips or tricks for him? Kill the skeleton. (laughs) I'm good at killing skeletons. But, you know, of course, the first thing I want to do is I want to get on the desktop. How do you get on the desktop? Little trigger action, or? Yeah, so you got to go. Steam, okay. You have to go down to look at this one. Go down to power. Uh, a, yep, and then desktop mode. Aha, switch to desktop. All right, switching to desktop. I'm going to bust out the trackpads here. Oh, it's kind of almost doing like a whole new loading thing. There we go. I got plasma. Nice. That's fun. That was easy. Yeah. They got to return to gaming mode, and they got a virtual keyboard here. 
It felt pretty good in the hand, too. You know, it felt pretty solid. What'd you think weight-wise? Did you expect it to be heavier? I expected a denser, heavier thing. Yeah, right? me too. It, it was about as light as a... As a game, like a controller, like an Xbox controller. Yeah, like an Xbox controller. Like there wasn't a whole computer in there. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think the size would be more of the limiting factor just for portability than really the weight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought the screen was great, too. Like, it was... We were in direct sun for a few little bits. And, you know, outside, that's where it's going to be at its worst. And it was it was fine. Yeah. Also, I mean, just I think this speaks to our audience. He didn't quite get there, but I love the idea of running Ansible on your like gamepad. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. He also brought a pretty tricked out electric car too that you got to ride in, Alex. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this uh, this is Fuzzy Mistborn on the self hosted Discord channel. He uh, he brought the Hyundai Ionic Five Hyundai. Sorry mm-hmm. for the Americans. Uh, this thing is a fully electric car and he just drove it down from Pennsylvania. So he was a bit worried about the charging situation, getting into town and stuff like that. No problem. No problem at all. That's pretty slick. And, and you got to go for a ride. And that's pretty I did, great. yeah. And he put this thing in sport mode and it pinned me back in my <laughs> seat. Nice. Like, to get a petrol car that would do that, you'd have to spend a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really get like a super official account because we didn't have like a, a door, an entrance where we had somebody counting and clicking. No, we were just in a, in a lovely park where people were coming at us from, from every angle. But we did buy 90 name tags and they all disappeared. Yeah. So I think, you know, over the course of the afternoon, about 100 people showed up. I think so. I think we about about exactly, we asked if you were going to go, please try to sign up for the meetup. And people did it. Like, it was great. And it helped us plan for that. I, I didn't sign up for the meetup. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rich, sorry. <laughs> Somehow he snuck in anyway. Yeah. Who led that guy? Party crasher. So we, I, I don't know really how to describe it. Uh, without saying we just had all types there. I mean, when I say that, I mean people who were longtime Linux users, people who are brand new user, users to Linux, uh, people who were 11 years old, people who were 70 years old. Like the whole range was there. Uh, and one of the interesting uh, couples that were there was Jason and Kelly, and uh, they had come from Virginia. So here we are at the meetup. Um, tell us your names and where you came from. I'm Jason. I'm Kelly. And we came from uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And... Uh, for someone like me who has no idea how far that is, how, how long would you have drove? Or it's a really long journey. No, it's a it's just about a four hour drive without uh, traffic. It's not bad at all, and we actually have family in the Raleigh area, so we were able to like see them, multitask, and come here. Nice. Yeah, she uh, graciously agreed to come with me to my Linux Nerdfest meetup. <laughs> and and what does the Nerdfest feel like for you? Is it like very inviting or? Oh, you know, I feel right at home here. I have like very nerdy brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I have my own brand of nerdiness, like Star Wars, fantasy, and oh, sci-fi related, but uh, you fit right in. But not necessarily IT related. But yeah, so no, it's great. Cool. And how's the meetup for you? Is this the first time you go to something like this? This is the first time I've been to anything quite like this. Closest, I think, before would be something like MAGFest, which is like a music and gaming festival years and years ago because it's in the area that we live in. But, uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's so nice to finally put names to faces from all the voices you hear on us and meet everybody. Yeah, Jason and Kelly were really great. Um, and I would say that is true of most people. Um, but Jason was, I don't know, he stood out for me. He told me that he worked at the Department of Defense uh, in the office of the Inspector General. I don't even, it sounds really interesting. I don't know exactly what that is. Um, but he was the kind of person, and I saw this repeatedly, you you guys might agree with me, is that he was just like insatiably curious about all the technologies that he could get his hands on. Um, and so, for instance, he said he learned Ansible recently, which came up a lot, um, and he said it just changed his world, but also really made a really nice stride in his, in his career. Uh, he said that took him to a whole new level. So I thought that was really interesting. He said, um, the department of defense where he is runs all their stuff on red hat 7.9, which is interesting. He was a little nervous about that. Yeah, he was. Um, so I thought that was funny. Um, but he also said he works with a whole lot of data scientists on some data analytics stuff, which sounded fascinating. I love that there's Linux users everywhere. So great. Right. This kind of like lets us give a get a real sense of just every weird little niche that Linux has found itself over the years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's uh there's also those moments where uh you meet people that uh, you either click with right away or you share something in common with. And uh we had those kinds of moments. Of course when you're when you're named Chris you always meet another Chris at these events. Uh, but Brent, you had a chance to meet another Brent. 
My name is Arturo, and I drove here from Roanoke, Virginia. So had a six-hour drive yesterday and a three-plus-hour drive today. <laughs> nice. How about you? Uh, I think we have something in common. Yeah, we do. Actually, I didn't have to drive that far. It was all the way on the other side, actually over by the airport. Did you fly into RDU? Yep. Yep. So that's that was my drive-in. Uh, and uh, my name is Brent. And my name is Brent. And you didn't have a name tag, did you? No, I didn't have a name tag, but I found another guy named Brent, and it was good <laughs> enough that he was, he was able to share. So it worked out pretty well. I happened to put... Um, two layers on and I put a name tag on each layer and I was able to donate my name tag which I think is the first time that ever happens. The Brents were so inseparable. I mean, it was adorable. They were great. Well, you don't you don't find them that often, so they're all great people, I got to say. Now, if you're wondering why did Brent have two name tags? I'll tell you why, listener. Because Brent is a damn pro. <laughs> That's why. Because Brent had multiple layers of clothing and had a name tag for each layer of clothing so that way he could remove his jacket and he would still have his name tag on. <laughs> Not my first event. Come on, gentlemen. Say nothing else about Brent. He's easily identifiable. It reminds me of, there's an episode of uh, TNG, Star Trek TNG. I don't know if it's Picard or who, but somebody takes their jacket off. Their, TO, their, like their, you know, their uniform where they have their comm badge. They take their jacket off and there's a comm badge on underneath. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Brent. <laughs> That was Brent. Uh, you know, the thing, too, that's really nice. So you get people that uh, they deal with Linux users and they deal with Linux and other admins all day, every day. That's totally their thing. That's the world they live in, right? But then you also have people that are listening to this show or maybe they're participating in the Mumble Room or they come to these meetups because it's the only place they hear anyone else talking about Linux. Yeah, so the, the strange thing is I actually don't, aside from, you know, we have a lovely gathering here, I don't actually know anybody else who runs Linux. What? Yeah, no, I am a chemist. In a factory. Oh, cool. So I do industrial chemistry. It's got nice. nothing to do with Linux, although there are some mighty fun apps for it. But it's always just been kind of a thing I've been interested in. The local group is the Trilug. They're, they're pretty good folks, so kind of fell in with them a little bit. And, uh, and here we are. I heard you guys were coming all the way over here. I couldn't <laughs> not make the 20-mile drive over. So <laughs> We have a good crowd here, like a really good crowd. I mean, people came from New York and Pennsylvania and Virginia and Florida, too. But a lot of locals here in Raleigh. Yeah, I was impressed. I mean, Alex, you've got a good crew. Yeah. Home of the uh, Red Hat. I mean, it's yeah. perhaps not too surprising. Red Hat, there's, um, uh, what's the other uh, largest tech company here too? I don't think they're as big as Red Hat. But. There's all sorts. So Raleigh is uh, actually a conglomerate of three different cities. And we call it the Triangle. There's Raleigh, there's Durham, and there's Chapel Hill. And in the middle of these things is about where the airport is. And just over the road from the airport, pretty much by your crappy hotel, is RTP, Research Triangle Park. And in there, you've got IBM, Microsoft, you've got uh, Pfizer. Uh, there's, there's dozens of big pharma things in there. Lots of big tech, too. Yeah, some other tech companies as well. Yeah, so, I mean, it makes sense in retrospect. It makes a lot of sense in retrospect. I feel like, though, we had such a good turnout. And that was, you know, what also what has taught me is, like, the first one you do is when you get the smallest turnout. And if you do another one, you get an even larger turnout. And so... We're already talking about like how are we going to do this on a yearly basis now because this was awesome you know coming out here to see the people on the east coast clearly we've been neglecting our very serious audience base I agree and we some can get of, a nice cadence going right yeah. if we have Linux Fest Northwest in the spring in Seattle on the west coast and then something on the east coast in the fall maybe mm hmm mm hmm and Denver every now and then to sprinkle it in and then and the other thing of course don't worry across the pond if you're listening thinking what about over here what about Alex is already campaigning. He's I'm working the room. I'm working. The, I'm lobbying. <laughs> so it's going to happen. But um, every now and then you run into somebody, and I, I think sometimes they have like a message they want to relay to us. Like they've been listening to the show, and there's something they want us to consider. All right. Hi, I'm uh, Lane Fu. Uh, in my day job, I'm a uh, cloud and DevOps consultant. Uh, at night, I uh, am deeply involved in the Armbian project. I've been involved for several years, uh, working either with CI or just advocating, <laughs> liaising between Eastern European folks and native English speakers, and uh, mostly just fighting the good fight to let everybody know that there's a lot of stuff out there besides Raspberry Pi on ARM. <laughs> I, I take that one personally. I feel like he's directing that, that comment at me. Uh, yes, Lane, I realize. And Armbian is a great project. We should probably do more work around that. Yeah, I think it just means that, uh, you know, if you ever want to try some more interesting boards out there, other, other types of... Uh, little tiny projects. You've yep. got the support system out there. People like Lane Fu are working hard to make it run decently on other things besides the Raspberry Pi. And they're just like, pay attention, would you? We're working really hard to do this. 
Message received. We'll consider. We will consider. See, you come out to these uh, events and you get us to think about these things. A lot of Python and Ansible love at the meetup. Um, and how about you? Uh, my name's Sam. I'm from uh, Richmond, Virginia. I'm a Python programmer. That's my day job. I was an Ansible core maintainer for about five years. So long-time Linux user. Just love everything about Linux, uh, open source, and automation in Python. That's basically my, my wheelhouse. Sam's all about it, and uh, he had a lot to say. And the thing is, is a lot of people had good things to say about Python and about Ansible and, and Nix. There was some Nix love as well. There was also some Nick shame. Dusty came out, and he made Dusty made a hard pitch for trying out the uh, Fedora core stuff, right? The core OS stuff. Like, I think we got to give that a fair shot too. But it's only fair. I mean, he, you come you come to a meetup. Dusty made a good case. So Dusty said, you know, automatic updates. I know how you like that. Uh, but also they have like these tracks you can subscribe to. And like one of them is a testing channel that you can subscribe to. And you'll get your, I think was he, I think he said a week or two weeks. You get like two weeks heads up of all changes. So you, you know, you throw one machine in this testing channel and you get a good solid week ahead of, heads up of changes because they're all automatic updates. You see where it goes. And if that system doesn't break, then you know your production system is going to be okay. But hey, who are you kidding? We're going to run testing on all our production machines. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'll believe that when it happens. So the nice thing about CoreOS in particular is how it boots from one image or uh, partition at a time. So you can update the image you're not booted into currently whilst you're booted into the previous one. Then you reboot into the new image. And if that's broken somehow you just fall back to the old image hmm. like a kernel in grub yeah yeah that does sound good and uh, that also sounds uh consumer friendly for like a device you could see where you could build in a system where if the user is like power cycling or something there's a little bit of logic that just says use the last image well i mean isn't that some of the stuff uh that valve have had to kind of invent for the way they're deploying arch on the steam deck yeah, I actually kind of wonder, I mean, I, I know we're hyped right now, and, and I, I'm saying this before we've gotten our hands on SteamOS 3. Acknowledged, and kind of wish we had already seen this SteamOS 3 stuff, but wouldn't it be interesting if in like five years we look back at this and go, Valve was on the right path, but they just totally implemented like their own thing when they could have used something like Nix or something like CoreOS or you know anything that uses OS tree. I wonder if we'll feel like, good idea, bad implementation. Kind of like Munich. When Munich first did their own thing, we were like, oh man, a whole state is switching to Linux? And then we found out like they did their own custom distribution thing and they spent like six, seven years flailing around trying to make that work. And the whole time we were all just going, why didn't you just use Ubuntu, right? Like maybe that's what's happening right now with the deck, but we're too early in the, in the cycle. We're all too hyped right now to realize it. So you're saying just, just skip SteamOS 3.0 wait till 4.0. That'll be the good one. <laughs> maybe. Then again... Maybe Linus was right. Maybe maybe Valve is going to start with SteamOS 3, and they're going to build a consumer product that is following some of these best practices, and it ends up being the leading largest desktop use of this kind of technology. Linus said that it was going to be Valve that brought Linux to the desktop masses. So maybe this is the start of it. And so maybe we'll look back at it and think they were geniuses. Does this mean, does this mean that this is the year of the Linux desktop? Oh, no. You know, I was seeing a conversation about this online recently, and I'm curious to know what you guys think. But the basic premise is like that whole concept of the Linux, the year of the Linux desktop is harmful because it creates this set of expectations. And the reality is that it's a slow march and that it becomes the year of the Linux desktop for each one of us individually. And by having like this idea, we like are doing the whole movement harm and not recognizing the actual successes we're seeing. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's probably a lot of truth in that, but, but partially I also think does anyone take the year of the Linux desktop seriously anymore anyway? Like, no, it's a I total think, joke. I think right? everyone might already recognize that already. I think we do. I think the Linux community uh, realizes it's a meme at this point, but I also hear people outside the Linux community still throw it in our face as like a, oh yeah, how's that year of the Linux desktop coming? It's a very valid point. I think my year of the Linux desktop was about five or six, seven years ago when I was first getting into Linux. And since then, it's become a tool that I used to do various tasks. Right. And kind of assuming that like, there's like this minimum benchmark it must meet, it's not really how computers work, is it? Because, you know, Windows and Mac aren't great for everybody either. It also sort of tries to assume an audience or a certain scale that tries to say, like, that's what makes it matter when, you know, especially these days with the relevance of desktops in general, it doesn't, doesn't seem like maybe it's right, the right concept. Yeah, you don't really want to be the winner of the thing that's kind of already on the out. 
you know, I mean, I'm going to use a desktop for as long as I can. I'm not saying it's gone forever, but let's look at the sales numbers. It sort of tells its own story. So we also had a special moment here. In fact, I was, I, I honestly, I wouldn't have been offended or surprised if you said, sorry, guys, I'm talking to Wes. Sorry, guys, I'm not going to be able to make it to this event. I got stuff going on because it was Wes's birthday. Um, so we wanted to make it special since, you know, Wes decided to spend his birthday with us. We wanted to acknowledge that at the meetup. And Alex, like a pro, seized the moment. All right, where's Wes? <laughs> Wes, come here. Chris, oh, okay. Yeah. Come up here too. Oh, all right. It's not my birthday. Right. Oh. Thank you all for coming so much. Oh, yes. Yes. Happy fam. Thank you. This is really, really cool. I think we're all here, pretty much. I think people are coming, but... This was a completely unplanned, accidental thing, but today is Wes's birthday. Hey! Happy birthday, Wes. I didn't know till yesterday. So, <laughs> we've bought him a birthday cake. You're all welcome to have some. There's one proviso. Happy birthday to you. Boop, boop, boop. Happy birthday to you. Handsome. Happy birthday, dear Wes. What's the Happy birthday to you. Thank you, everyone. All right, there's a cake. You have to come cut it. Yeah, there is cake. Let's go. There was way too much cake. What do we do with all that cake? We've still got half the damn thing in my kitchen. <laughs> Both of them. Yes. <laughs> I think we'll be packing on the pounds this trip. Yeah. But thank you for spending your birthday with us, Wes. I can't imagine anything better. Ah, jeez. Ah, jeez. That was pretty nice, though. And everybody just was totally immediately in on it. Like, there was no convincing. The whole crowd just immediately got in on it. It was great. Which I was very relieved of because my singing voice is not the best. No. <laughs> if it was just you and I up there singing, it would have been very embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's what stands out so much about these meetups. You know, it's like, it's total strangers. We've never seen 90% of these people. Some, some of you, unfortunately, we may never see again, but it's like an instant community. You know, we know, we all know why we're there. We're there for the same reasons. We mm -hmm. have the same interests and hobbies mm -hmm. and generally the same philosophies. And so there's just like a, a weird and wonderful amount of implicit trust that just kind of happens. Yeah. Like a lot of the, um, basic social fabric exists because you can immediately talk about, well, so how far away? You know, where'd you come from? Because everybody has that in common. Yep. And you can talk about anything in Linux, anything you feel like talking about. You, you know, you, you want to talk about Wayland? Go ahead. Like it's so much simpler from a social interaction standpoint. It is. And so what you see happen every single time we do these events is at first it's sort of about us and people kind of cluster around us. And then about an hour into it, everybody's talking to each other. Like people even who don't, maybe don't have great social skills. Maybe they don't interact with people a lot. Like, because we all have this in common and we all understand these terms. Like if somebody's out there talking about H top, people know what H top is. Like how common is that? That's not very common in your real life. My favorite thing was to come up to a bunch of complete strangers and just hear the word Tasmota. I'm like, Hey, we can talk about that. That's fun. Let's go. Right. I was impressed with some of the, you know, audience members just being so kind and generous too. You know, we had people offering to, to show other folks around or the number of times I saw someone, you know, they were kind of standing outside the circle a little bit, maybe not sure where they wanted to go next. And just, people are just always offering, expanding the circle and welcome you right in. Yep. Very true. Then I also had a special moment. So we had Wes's moment and I had a special moment, which was totally unexpected. So Nixie, everybody out there is probably familiar with Nixie. She's been in the Linux community forever. And now she's got a YouTube channel that she does a lot of security content on. And they have, her and her crew have this amazing 70s era GMC RV. And if you're an RVer at all that has like any kind of like historical RV background, you know, these GMCs were like peak RV. And I had a chance to actually see one of these that was in full operation. 20 years I've wanted to see one of these. 20 years? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So this is actually how I got it. It was actually set up as a desk like this, and, and it was a... Server rack. Uh, there was a server rack, yeah. It is a server rack. Yeah. And he had, uh, like, uh, closed-circuit TV systems that he could plug in and had uh, monitors up here to monitor some sort of security thing. An RV with a, with a server rack. How cool is this? I finally see a GMC and it's got a damn server rack in it. Yeah, where are you? Why haven't you done this? I can't believe this. So this, I, like, I don't know if this rig, I don't know if they like pull up at clients and like hook up to the security system or what they were doing, but this thing was like a mobile RV security system. I'm imagining some Ethernet that you've like plumbed through on the outside and you just sort of plug it into the building. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty neat. Very cool rig. You guys should Google this thing, the GMC RV. 
they only made this, so it's the only one they ever made. So you know, you're not going to have any problems finding it. And uh, it is very special. And Nixie was talking a bit about that. I mean, I just think it's really amazing how it handles. Oh yeah. So it doesn't handle like a like yeah, a Greyhound bus. Yeah. It handles more like like a limousine. Like a limousine, <laughs> baby. That's great. Yeah. It is such a cool rig because it has the super low center of gravity and air suspension in the back and it has dually tires and it's just the whole thing is just so friggin' awesome. Real treat for me. And also just like I love that there's people in my audience who like show up at an event like this in their RV. Right. That's amazing for me. So that was a good time. Beautiful rig. I think if the Jetsons designed an RV, that's the design language that we had here. This thing was just so cool. Yeah, Chris, how did you describe it? You said it was like retro future. Yeah, it is. Is is that a weird is that but that's a thing. Like it's like future retro. So it it uh it is also retro but it is also kind of how we're designing things now. Well, yeah, you know, it was the idea uh, from the past of what the future could be in a direction we unfortunately haven't quite taken cuz I as you also said like that thing had a very Star Trek shuttle pod feel. There's this curved glass in the cockpit. Machine photon torpedoes. <laughs> they don't make them like that no more. I'll they tell don't. you what. They don't. At that time, they wanted to make it, they wanted to build an RV where they followed what the airline builders follow. So like when you're building a, a like a, like a traveling jet, like a, you know, 747 or something like that, all the building policies and even down to the paint, the paint they chose was airplane paint. And so as a result, the paint, you know, it needs polished, but the RV's paint still is on and holds up after all these years. And meanwhile, modern modern RVs just disintegrate, you know, after you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Oh, you know something a little about that, I know that, a huh? little bit about that. And they also don't make it out of uh, corn wire. <laughs> so that also is a very good thing. I also thought the suspension system was like a whole weird, brand new, yeah. crazy thing. Like that the wheels were able to turn slightly independently a little bit just, just a little it, and, and, and sounded like both sides of the rear suspension worked in concert so that you know let's say unfortunately you were driving into denver for instance and you found a large bump in the road maybe a pothole on one side and you hit that they were explaining how that would actually only shift the suspension by about half of that distance because each side can independently kind of absorb that and kind of cantilever back and forth. It was really fascinating. I would say if that sounds interesting in any way, go check this thing out. Um, I'm sure there are lots of videos of people explaining the suspension. It was really neat. I'm just picturing one day I pick one of these things up and I build a mobile studio. Come on. In a, in a GMC from the 70s, how cool would that be? You have to store it here, though. Totally, dude. Yeah, we, we'd, ha- we'd probably have to build it here. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> if you inspire us like that, I think we might all need one. Because, what, we can't all record in yours. The sound isolation is just not going to be good enough. Yeah, that's true. Linode.com slash unplugged. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And you go there to support the show. I mean, let's just be honest about it, right? Linode.com slash unplugged. Linode is fast, reliable cloud hosting. If you've got something you want for your next project, something you want to deploy up in the public, I'd be embarrassed not to put it on Linode. And I legitimately mean that. It's not just that it's super fast and has great performance, but if anything goes wrong, they also have fantastic support. I uh, pinged their support recently. So I have a recent story to share with you because I decided to go full baller on our matrix server before we left. I didn't want to be over here and have the matrix server fall down. So I pinged Linode and I'm like, Hey guys, how's it going? Um, so, you know, I, I know how I have this $15 a month Linode here. Um, here's what I want to do. And I kind of just ran them through what I'm thinking about. And they sent me back uh, kind of a response and gave us a few ideas and gave us the green light. So I turned this thing up to 11. Our matrix box, we went from 16 gigs of RAM. We now have 96 gigs of RAM. <laughs> we now have 96 gigs of RAM in that thing. We went from six CPU cores to 48 CPU cores. We now have 48 CPU cores. Gonna need a lot of workers. My God. Yeah. (laughs) We are cooking with gas on our matrix server now. It is so slick. It's not the final solution, but you know what? When you can throw hardware at it, why not? And isn't this like, like the nice flexibility I have as a business? Because the last thing I want is this thing crashing while I'm on a trip. But you don't have to commit to some giant new server thing that we would have had to take a couple weeks to get provisioned and set up before we left, right? You can, you can just do it now. And if we figure out a solution that means we need to scale back down later, that's easy to do too. Click of a button. 
click of a button. That's the thing. Is it resized an existing system we already had in production and it resized it in minutes. And now the box has like infinite power. <laughs> so I love that kind of stuff. And it's just the sort of thing I could never do with a physical box or even some janky VM setup that I'm running on my machine. So if you're a performance hound, if you're a reliability hound, if you want to be like in like slim with good support, Linode is the way to go. They got 11 data centers around the world. You're going to find something near you or your customers. They've been doing this for nearly 19 years and they just keep making it better and better and better. I love it. I think you're going to love it. I would suggest you try something. Go kick the tires and see it for yourself. That $100 means you can really try something and make your own decision. And trying it out supports the show. So go to linode.com slash unplugged. Get that $100 on a new account and support the show. linode.com slash unplugged. We have a little bit of feedback this week. Raphael wrote in about NixOS. We've been getting a lot of those. Um, and I thought it would be a great question to put to all of you since we're in the same room. Uh, they write, My dream is to be able to access a mostly persistent single version of my development environment on any machine in my local network. I do hobby app development on Flutter, which has a relatively complex install procedure in Linux. Rarely do I get enough time between dad duties to update, run git pull, and do a system update if I haven't used a particular laptop in a while. What I'd like to do is somehow host a persistent configuration of my workflow and OS that's always up to date and ready to work on my development project with minimal interruptions such as the changes from one system to the other. Uh, he says he has a small home server that might be useful in the mix, and he wondered, is this possible with Nix, or are there any other solutions? You know, Nix does have um, a fair amount of facilities for setting up a development environment, and if you're using something like Vim and Emacs, I know they've got a lot of support for including configuration for those types of editors in there as well. I think if Nix is the right fit, might depend on, well, one, if you like using Nix, but then two, kind of what tools you're using for development and how well that fits in the Nix ecosystem. Because some, you know, some ecosystems, uh, I think Go is pretty well supported. NPM, there's some new exciting stuff for Closure. I just happened to notice those work well. But there's other ecosystems. I think Ruby um, sometimes can be painful, from what I've heard. That just, you know, maybe fewer of those packages have made it into the Nix package store. So those are the things I would check out. But there might be a lot of ways to skin this cat. You know, containers can be a nice way to set up development environments. Or if it's just on your local network, uh, I know you guys really love the uh, remote VS Code setup over SSH, so maybe you don't need to copy the environment everywhere and you can kind of have one master install that's able to reach out to the other systems. Hmm, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, if that's truly what you're looking for, you probably could get a minimum viable version with that. You know, I was thinking you could solve this with WebTop with the container solution where you essentially it's a, it's a Docker container that creates a desktop Linux environment that you connect to over your web. It's like a self-hosted version of shells.com. Oh, very nice. So you could do something like WebTop, but you know, when I hear this, what I hear, I mean, maybe it's cause I'm old, but I hear VM, I hear VM with free RDP server running on it that you just RDP into. And now that GNOME 42 has exposed options to set up an RDP server, you can set up a Fedora workstation in a VM with free RDP server running, and then you could just RDP from any machine on your network. And honestly, I'd recommend using one of the higher-end RDP clients, because if you use like the actual Microsoft RDP client, you get a pretty performant session. It's not bad with the new GNOME server. That's an option. I mean, I hear VM. I, I do get what he's trying to get at, right? Um, Raphael wants to just sit down and get to work. Right. It's like when I go to play a Steam game and I end up spending 15, 20 minutes just getting my machine capable of playing that game. Less of a problem these days, but still happens sometimes. I get it. Raphael wants to just sit down and get to work. And I'm trying to think of what would be simpler and quicker than RDP. I mean, Alex, do you have any ideas of like, maybe is this a, another option? Maybe just a dedicated laptop? I'm a big fan of the West Payne VS Code remote suggestion. I do that for a lot of my development, actually. And I, I think perhaps the one thing that makes this more difficult is the flutter element where mm. you actually need some UI elements on screen. That potentially makes uh, uh, makes this more difficult because a lot of my development is for infrastructure as code type stuff, more devops type things. Uh, so UI development, really, you need the environment locally. But if you can capture all of these requirements as to what makes your development environment yours, uh, and get that into 
an Ansible playbook. You should play the bell whenever I mention the word Ansible. I think. <laughs> Maybe a badger sound effect. We need, an ans- <laughs> we need an Ansible sound effect, guys. A quick stinger. We do, yeah. Now, for me, if you can capture all that into a nice playbook, uh, that then becomes your repeatable deployment thing that you sync between machines. And in fact, you don't even really need to sync the Ansible itself. You just commit that to a local Git repo sync that between the machines and then run Ansible against all of these machines whenever you sit down. Have it as a cron job, if you like, to get more into that kind of GitOps kind of style of operation. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Greg Hellings also wrote in uh, onto our GitHub. I kind of grabbed this because I thought it was fascinating. This is the GitHub for um, the NixOS challenge that we set up. If you want to check that out, github.com slash Broadcasting, And he writes... About four months ago, for a day job, I began experimenting with the Nix package manager in order to enable developer tooling to run in Linux as well as macOS. So currently, we officially only support macOS. Having come here from Red Hat, this task was naturally assigned to me. Nix packages will allow us to eventually unify the same packaging system across Mac and Linux. He says, bonus, it also allows us to run under the WSL2 on Windows. The same package manager in all three systems. I thought that was pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. That is something I've been hearing a couple of times from people. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I've been trying out using um, Nix lately on my work Mac. And yeah, so far it's, it's going pretty well. I've been impressed with the number of packages that are supported. It sounds like from talking with some of the folks on the uh, our Nix Matrix channel that the Darwin support, as they call it, has gotten a lot, a lot better just in the in the past couple of years. So if, if you tried it before, it might be worth checking out. And it's really easy and light on the system. So if you just want an alternative, if you're already using something like Brew, I know before the show we were kind of messing around and wanted to Brew package update one of our machines. Of course, that takes a while. And when you're trying to do a live stream, it's not great. But Nix is pretty fast, and um, it's a nice alternative. Yeah, I actually feel like the time is right for the Nix packager to strike on macOS. I know it's been around for a while, but... Brew has a lot of people that are not happy with it. And uh, what is the new project that one of the Brew founders, I mean, there's, it seems a like, tea, the, I think, yeah, it seems like there's some perhaps weakening in Brew's dominance in macOS package management. I feel quite the opposite. Oh, okay. I, I actually install everything on my Mac using Brew. Yeah. So I install Chrome, Spotify, Mumbles, like, like there's a package for literally everything in brew these days and that's where it really wins Mm. and i have a question for you Wes. i haven't done anything with the nix package manager yet but i've I've heard this promise before with uh, terraform is the example where you write one script or you define one configuration and then that becomes your golden configuration for all your things except for the fact that's never true because package names are actually slightly different on different OSs and stuff like that. Like, is that a solved problem with the Nix package manager? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know if I'd say that it's quite solved. And admittedly, I'm kind of just starting off on this road myself. Um, but I have been impressed with the flexibility of overrides. Um, I haven't quite got it dialed in, but one thing I, I was trying out was building cross-compiled Docker images from Mac without having to use any of the Docker tools, but would spit out, you know, like a, a Linux container with all the right Linux binaries and stuff. Hmm. And for the most part, that was just like one little change at the top of the file that was like, hey, here I want to pull in packages that run on the Mac side. So these are, you know, the native packages to run. And then for the stuff that's going inside the container, I want you to pull from the, you know, the x86 part of the Nix package really? cache. Yeah. So I think that there's slick. some problems. Now, of course, as you're right, like abstractions are leaky. I'm sure there are some edge cases that are going to bite you. But hmm. at least for the simple stuff, you know, like in getting HTOP and things like that going, yeah, it was just kind of install it by name and go have fun. I feel like at the meetup, it was a pretty good mix of people who thought we were crazy for this Nick stuff and people who were like right on board with us doing the challenge. <laughs> I feel like that's about the split in this room too. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and now... As the French say, it is time for Le Boost. We got a bunch of boosts in, and uh, for 5,000 sats, BHH32 wrote, Thanks for the Fountain App recommendation. I've been listening to you guys for a few years now. I've never had an opportunity to attend a live show, and this is a great way for me to support you and participate. Here are 5,000 sats for you. Easily funded from my Exodus wallet since it has its own lightning wallet that I can deposit from my mining efforts. And I mine exclusively on Linux. Open source funding for open source shows. That's rad. Pretty crazy to think he's using open source software 
to mine something that generates value that he can then send in with a message to a podcast that talks about open source software using all open source self-hosted software on the back end for every single piece of it, right? Like, you can't say that about a Visa transaction. Not a Windows box in sight. No, no. Michael B. wrote in yesterday with 3,000 sats. Hey, guys, I'm so glad that you're banging on things like Matrix to help us all getting all of this sorted out. Keep up the great work, Michael. You know, uh, the Matrix community continues to grow. And was it, I don't know if we really touched on this last week. Like, it was implicit in the conversation. But there was like a hot minute, like three months ago, where I'm like, screw this. I don't want to host this. Discord is way easier. Why am I bothering with this? And I was like, let's kill the Matrix server. Yeah, we really, I mean, we thought about it. <laughs> but then all these damn bastards started joining the server, and they're all so great. I want to talk to them all. And now I'm all, I'm all in. Like, I'm like, we got to keep this thing. And also, I think the other thing that's been sort of building over 2022 for me is I have really started taking a look at centralization in the Linux community and the negative effects. I think that centralization has brought Linux and Linux innovation. And then I started using that perspective to look at how we do messaging to look at how we communicate as a community. And I realized that there's value long-term in helping build the matrix ecosystem because of its decentralized nature. And that's sort of where I decided I'm going to double down on it. So that's why we now have a 48-core box with 96 gigs of RAM running our Matrix server. Fingers crossed. <laughs> we decided to go crazy. Well, uh, Marcus boosted in with 10,000 sets. I hope these boosts and streaming sets help allow JB to grow. And hey, by the way, Chris, I was the person that sent you a 3DS a few years ago. That was so awesome when Marcus did that. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, because my son and I really got into some of the 3DS games for a little bit. And so we both had one and you know, made for a nice moment. User 183 also sent in two days ago 12,000 sats. Which, well, that seems impressive to me. Great live stream last week. Thanks for the 2,000 sats. We were sending sats to people, which I think they yeah. really enjoyed, clearly. Yeah. I guess they sent it back and then some. Now have BTC on Blue Wallet and Sats on Fountain. So here are yours returned and a few more. If you've not mentioned it before, worth highlighting Flat Seal, which among other settings allows confined Flatpak apps access to NFS shares and mounted partitions. Martin. Yeah, Flat Seal is a solid Flatpak companion. Just one of those things, you know, quality of life as you uh, try to do more complicated workflows in your Flatpak apps. All right, so Wes, I think you probably found this one based on the functionality for our pick this week. It's called Bore. Yeah, a modern, simple TCP tunnel that's written in Rust. <laughs> yes! Yeah, you might wonder, okay, why would he need this? Aren't there already things like ngrok? And yeah, they acknowledge that right in the readme. It's similar to local tunnel in ngrok, and there's a lot of tools for this, but Bore is intended to be a highly efficient unopinionated tool for forwarding TCP traffic that's simple to install, simple to self-host, with no frills attached. And yeah, it's true. I was able to take a look. It's less than 400 lines of safe, asynchronous Rust. So you can you can read through the code if you like. And uh, because it's Rust, it's easy to get started. You just run um, bore server on a, you know, maybe a, a Linode system out there. And then you can use that your own to forward reports. So if you're behind some firewall, you've got NAT in the mix. It's just really easy and simple. So let's say you're a guy who's maybe on a flight and they're locking down what you can get to on this flight. Is there a way I could use this to get access to more things without paying. I mean, I'm not saying I'm doing that, but I'm asking for Brent. You know, that's a use case I hadn't considered. Could a guy like do that with mm. this? Or like, I'm trying to picture like what I would use this in the day to day. Well, I think it's just a nice way um, if you don't have a fancier setup or you don't want to invest in other like persistent tooling, you just need sort of an ephemeral port forward. That sounds like me. Yeah, right. You haven't got your firewall configured. You don't even know how the who firewall can, works. Who can bother? Mm -hmm. so who that, can? So that's where this is really nice because one, you, you can self-host it or they they run a, what seems like a pretty beefy, beefy server on their own. And so you just, you know, run this on your local machine, tell it what port you want to forward. And then instead of having to set up a reverse proxy or open that port on your firewall, it's done for you. Isn't it interesting how we talk about these picks sometimes and you dig into it and you discover like the open source project is also running a server component to help make it work better. Like you don't have to use it, but um, Magic Wormhole, Jitsi, Boar, the list goes on and on. Like there's like it's very common these days to have that little kind of server side component. So it's a, that's an aspect you got to take into consideration. Mm, absolutely. Maybe 
maybe if you find it useful, you want to support those kinds of projects. That's right. I think that's probably true. And uh, we don't want them monetizing that aspect of it because <laughs> that's uh, not good for any of us. All right. You know, it's short. You know, it's a shorter show today because we didn't have a mumble room. Yeah, I mean, we're going to try to do something in the post show. So if you're a member at UnpluggedCore.com or at Jupiter.Party, yeah, then you get to hear the post show and you're going to see if we get it to work or not. <laughs> and not to mention the rather not safe for work conversation we had today. This is why you show up live, folks. Yeah. All the extra show. You can hear Chris rant and rave about technical setups. That's always fun. You know, you get the full perspective, and right? Spectrum of emotions. I'm a little worried about that guy. You know, you can get that whole thing. That's always fun. Who doesn't want that? Right. So check that out. Um, you can join us on Sundays. We do the show at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. We'd love to have you join our, our virtual lug because it's almost like it's like 99% of the time, 99.5% of the time. It makes its way into the show. It's just when, you know, something gets broken, then it doesn't make it in here. But you can always watch live. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. All right. That's it. We, it's, uh, that's our live show all hanging out. Is this considered a living room? What is this considered? A bonus room? Officially, I think it's a bonus room. Yeah, the room above the garage. Yeah, hanging out in the bonus room. In this case, bonus means uh, totally capable for recording a podcast. I think it's now a podcast room. I don't think I've ever seen anybody look quite so comfortable as Wes Payne, who's recording from my Lazy Boy today. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. We are really put in the studio. To that is us. a nice spot. All right, thank you so much for tuning in. Keep the Linux rolling at linuxunplugged.com and linuxunplugged.com slash contact and send in your boost, get your message on the show, and get it in front of us. We read them all. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Unplugged program. See you back here next Sunday. jbtitles.com let's go pick our title i like uh like the the chat room's asking like what's the deal with the russ love seriously why does everybody love russ so much <laughs> yeah maybe i got a little defensive there whoops does it feel like i mean i mean besides the fact that we are getting some awesome applications and it's making people rethink stuff i think in part it's just sort of sort of a show trope <laughs> west <laughs> pain loves rust that's why we love rust <laughs> yeah maybe a little maybe. bit plus like we kind of get to pick up on some of the the legitimate enthusiasm out there for you know devs who are just finding and falling in love with rust when's the last time you've seen something like this where like a language like this wins the hearts and minds of developers like well, this M michael dominic would tell you uh objective, objective c, c yeah. but i don't know if i believe him <laughs> <laughs>